Welcome to Fitzbeat, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines. We're brought to you by Wenting's Cycle and Mission. Here's your Wenting's word of the week. It is Peterson. Mention that word to Bruce or any staff member the next time you are at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's word of the week is Peterson. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. With the running season in full swing, it's time for you to take a swing at a personal best. Whether that's a 5K, 10K, even a marathon, TriJoy can help. We'll meet with you in person to discuss your goals, make a training plan, and give you the support you need to achieve them. Email for your free in-person consultation. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See the link at the bottom of this page. On our program today, a new feature we're excited about sharing with you. It's the Mikey Ross Top 5 list. And in the first episode of the Top 5 list, Mikey takes aim on his very favorite topic, food. So be listening for that. Also on the program, we have a feature interview with one of Canada's best mountain runners. Benoit Ginac from Vancouver is our guest. He'll be giving us some training advice for crushing mountains and some great stories about his running experiences at the Mountain Running World Championships. But to kick things off, for Fitzbeak 80, it's the Roundtable. And welcome to Fitzpeak 80. This is our first Fitzpeak podcast of... The dark season. Fall is upon us. The weather has done exactly what it's supposed to do at the end of summer. It washed away all those wonderful memories of summertime and we've been deluged by rain and uh, fortunately not snow because in parts of Alberta and Saskatchewan they've had snow and a lot of uh, Montana. But here in the Fraser Valley we do have full-on dark season. Of course we have daylight saving time ending here in a couple of weeks. And uh, tell us about what's been happening in their lives. We have a fresh voice here at Fitspeak. You'll be hearing him later in the program, making, I guess, his return to Fitspeak after that feature interview did. Uh, we did with him uh, about a year and a half back is Mikey Ross, fresh from the West Coast Trail and the medical tent because he had a few blisters. Welcome back to Fitspeak, Zach. Thank you for having me. Tell us about these... Uh, foot issues you had on the west coast trail i want to hear the nitty-gritty blisters blisters and more blisters uh, so you um started the west coast trail on a thursday was it i believe it was a wednesday on a wednesday yeah. oh, was it a wet wednesday it was a wet wednesday and, so for uh, people who have never done the west coast trail maybe we've got listeners and i know we do in tunisia and indonesia but uh, for people who aren't familiar with the West Coast Trail, maybe they're not big into hiking or they're from out of town. Tell us roughly what this West Coast Trail is all about. It's a 75 kilometer trail through the temperate rainforest of Vancouver Island on the west coast of Vancouver Island. It's about an hour north of Victoria. Um, and I did it with a buddy of mine. We did the Juan de Fuca last year, which ends in, in Port Renfrew, which is where uh, the West Coast Trail starts or ends depending on which way you go. Uh, it goes from Port Renfrew to Bamfield. So it was a pretty adventurous trail to be on. Lots of ladders, uh, river crossings, um, what do they call them? Little tra trolley cars or whatever that go along these 
cable cable cars. Oh, almost yeah. like zip lining. Zip lining. Oh wow! In, in little cable cars. What's what's your motivation to do like that? This sounds like abuse. <laughs> um, it it was it became a bit of a cause halfway through because we had four days of solid rain uh, for the four, first four days and. Uh, our shoes were just soaked. Our feet were going numb, and so this is trench foot getting you ready for remembrance trench foot. day. It felt like World War II, actually. Tell us about the places. food you had. Uh, we brought along some dehydrated food packs, so like macaroni and cheese, uh, teriyaki chicken, stuff like that. Everything you pack in, you have to pack out, and there's no aid stations or anything like that along the way no gels you to bring it all with you no. i didn't bring any gels i brought some cliff bars <laughs> ah. which i successfully ate by the second day so. oh <laughs> all gone all gone i guess what i learned is next time i'm gonna pack more food because i eat like a horse oh interesting and i guess you'd only really notice that when you're miles away from a 7-eleven or a burger king or a safeway or yes. whatever the case may be and the cravings what Definitely sort came. of food were you craving the most? Um, I was craving a burger. Yeah, a burger and some steak, which which was. We actually had these angels. We, I called we called them our angels anyway. Some people that came along, and passed us half at the end because I was having some issues with chafing. I was walking like an old man. Oh no! With my two poles, I was like a giraffe in uh, Lion King stage show or something like that. Um, they took pity on us and went into town, bought us some burgers, and brought them back to the beach. Wow. Oh my goodness! I mean, that, that was just absolutely amazing. That was that topped off the trip right there. Absolutely. So, any final words of advice if a person wanted to try the West Coast Trail? It's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> pick, pick your season. Um, we thought September would be totally uh, sunny, as it often mm-hmm. is, um, but we did get some rain. So, if you are going. Uh, doing the west coast trail rain can come at you at any time of the year really so Mm. pack everything in plastic bags garbage bags um yeah bring a tarp and you said pick your season pick pick your season when you want pick your friend too because you got to have a strong relationship did you did you have to book i heard you have to book you do have to book yeah and how do you do that who do you contact you go online to the west coast trail i can't remember you just Google West Coast Trail yeah, booking and Parks Canada. Parks Canada. They'll charge you the ransom. Rim. You'll have to sign some forms, leave yeah. some DNA just in case. Dental records, of course. <laughs> so Zach wasn't the only one who was uh, somewhat afflicted by the rainy <laughs> weather. Um, we could almost break into the song "The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald" and all these, you know. I actually have that memorized. I could sing the whole thing for you. Uh, that's that's on Fitzpeak one hundred and eighty. To tell us about uh, his own race experience in the rain, rainy days and Mondays. Here's Karen Carp. No, Mikey, Mikey Ross. <laughs> Oh, by the way, um, listening into the program a little bit later on, Mikey's top five list, brand new material from Fitspeak. Uh, Mikey, but getting back to the point about a rainy race. Yeah, it could have been called rainy days and Sundays always get me down. I've had a problem with getting cold fast in a couple of races, and I did everything I could to prevent that from happening Sunday, but within about 15K of what was supposed to be a 90K bike ride, after two attempts, going back to transition, putting even more clothes on and going out again, I just, my body was telling me it's not the day for it. Get the hell off your bike. And I did. I actually, 
uh, went into transition. After getting up to Columbia Valley and back, there's this turnaround at Cultus, and it turned me right into the transition zone. I handed my chip to an official and said, please take this from me so that I can't keep going. And I went in, I grabbed my stuff, threw it over the fence, grabbed my bike, took it to the car, and I went home and laid down in my tub for about 20 minutes to get my core back and spent the rest of the day trying to think of positive things. Did anybody bring you burgers? No, no burgers, but I had visitors at home and they got lots and lots of sympathy and then I kicked myself in the butt and moved on from it. So, uh, good news. Mikey has survived and he's going to be dropping by FitSpeak on a fairly regular basis after this point, doing all sorts of interesting and motivational top five lists. So we look forward to your contributions in the future. Thanks. It's going to be fun. Yes. And as we're going along, uh, many times we're talking that fall is really uh, a couple of seasons here in the Fraser Valley. We've got the cyclocross season starting and we're going to see if Kevin Watt can do some investigating. He's our uh, cycle guy who's in Edmonton this week. That's why he's not part of the round table. And Michael is going to tell us about a few uh, running opportunities here in the Fraser Valley. Well, Kevin and I have to make a choice here. Kevin pointed out to me shortly before we did this that he beat me by about a second, maybe two, in the one of the two races I'm going to talk about. In November, there are two local races coming of a very different nature. One of them is the Abbotsford Cross Country Ramble, and I think it was about a 6.3 or something, Kevin. It's an odd distance of race, and it is on Sunday, November the 17th. Uh, we also have a brand new race that is booked, unfortunately, on the same day, so you'll have to make a choice. It's the Vetter Half and 10K. So that's a brand new race. A brand new. And it's run by a club in Chilliwack. I'm afraid I don't know their name, but they're looking to see a great turnout. And it's along the Vetter River. It's going to be gorgeous. But unfortunately, folks, you're going to have to make a choice. You can't be in both places at the same time. And Zach, you've got some running of your own to do. One of the most difficult... Uh trail races and it kind of ties in nicely because our featured guest on Fitspeak 80 is going to be a Canadian mountain running champion and uh, you're going to be doing some mountain running of your own in the near future. Tell us about that thing. Yes, there's the Valley Verticular coming up put on by the Abbotsford Trail Running Club. Um, it's a fantastic race, lots of elevation. There's a 16 and a 25k uh, race option. I just, uh, this last weekend on Saturday, I did a 16K loop of the course just to get my bearings. And, on those uh, tender feet, how, how were they? Feet, they were pretty good. They, yeah. they recovered by then. Um, there was a 1,200 meter gain. And that's coming up again called. when? That's coming up October... 19th, I believe, 29th. That's a Saturday it's race, right? Up. Yeah. Yes. And that is your round table. Ben Ma, welcome to Fitspeak. Hey, thanks for having me. So it's uh, the first time we've ever got a mountain runner uh, who specializes in the mountain running on the podcast. So we're excited to uh, to talk to you a little bit about that a little bit later. But uh, tell us, uh, where was home for you? Uh, I was born in Quebec, uh, an hour south of Quebec City in the country. And what was the name of that town or village? Uh, Buckland. And how, how big was that? 
800 people. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty small. Pretty, pretty small place. What kind of sports were you doing uh, growing up as a kid there? Uh, I mean, for us, uh, everything was about hockey. Uh, so I played hockey in the winter and floor hockey in the summer. A uh, bit of baseball, a bit of tennis, but like the, the main focus was hockey for sure. Hockey, hockey, hockey. Uh, yep. Nordiques fan or Canadians? Uh, Nordiques. Nordiques. Any favorite, <laughs> any favorite players back in the day? Um, I was a big fan of Mark Macy with the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Uh-huh. And uh, I was a goaltender, so uh, Bill Ranford, Marty Brother, uh, those like spectacular goaltenders. Absolutely, that was kind of the golden age for goaltenders. I mean, they made the the series so so exciting to watch, and the athleticism was just just spectacular. And I mean, that still continues on to this day. Um, of course, I was uh, watching Ken Dryden when he played against the Russians mm-hmm. back in that 1972 series, and you know, between him and Tretiak, it just uh, you know captured the imagination of of our generation. So, absolutely, mm-hmm. uh, goaltenders have always been part of the sport. Um, Right now, Benoit, you are a mountain runner, but uh, what's your day job? Uh, I work as a translator, so I'm an independent contractor. I work for different companies. Uh, I do a bit of writing, too. Yep. What kind of writing do you do, Benoit? Uh, I write for uh, <clears throat> a website in Quebec about sports, uh, sometimes for magazines. It's, uh, it depends. I mean, translation being my main, main focus, but sometimes I have the... If I have a chance to write an article, like for example, I, I wrote uh, a long article about the the sun run here in Vancouver. Um, so yeah, that, that's the kind of stuff I do. Uh huh. Sounds like interesting work. Uh, almost like what I'm kind of doing here, but with uh, uh, of course I can't translate from English into French or vice versa. But you're pretty uh, you're pretty fluent in that. Yep. So your current passion right now is mountain running. How were you introduced into the sport? Was that something you took up when you moved out west, or was that something you kind of dabbled in back home? Uh, like back home, I wasn't a runner at all. I had no interest in, in running. It's when I moved to BC, uh, I brought my hockey bag with me, but then I realized quickly that there hockey wasn't as big, so uh, I couldn't find a hockey team, and I was in Victoria. Um, near the Galloping Goose Trail, and I could see like a lot of people running every day. So at at some point, I said, "Yeah, I should I should do something." So I started jogging, and then uh, I wasn't really enjoying it, but that was you know better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to uh, Vancouver, and I started hiking, which um, I, I found that quite uh, enjoyable. But I could see people; they were running on the trails and then you know slowly but surely i like kind of started running a bit and then uh, yeah that was it i did that race in north vancouver called my first ray race and i placed second oh wow and i said oh okay i said maybe i could i could actually be good at it and then at, at first it was like a mix of hiking running i was mountain biking i was still playing hockey so running wasn't my main focus but uh maybe around 2010, 2011, maybe, then I started running more regularly. So what kind of uh, successes? Obviously, getting second in your very first trail run must have been pretty encouraging. What sorts of other uh, successes have you had in mountain running? It took me a few years like uh, to, to get get better at it, but in 2015, I was uh, 
lucky enough to go to the world championships in Switzerland, uh, long distance. So that was 42K in the mountains. And then in 2016, I went to the world champs again, but then short distance, uh, 12K in Bulgaria. My goodness, the world championships. So you said you got a chance to do that. You must have earned your way there. What sort of competition did you do well in that you were able to go to the world championships? Um, the Canadian championships. So uh, they were in Vernon in 2016. So I placed third. Uh, so I was good enough to, uh, to make the team. And then in 2016, same thing. I went to the Canadian champs and placed uh, fifth Canadian, I think. And again, I think they were sending six Canadians to Bulgaria. So uh, that's the way it works with mountain running. You have to go to the Canadian champs and, and get one of the spots. And you did really well at the Canadian championships. How well did you do on the world stage, Benoit? And Switzerland was, I had a good race until I cramped. I had like 32, 33K. I think I was 60F or something like that. Uh, Bulgaria was really competitive. Uh, I, I think the short distance tends to be um, faster, and I ended up, I think, being a hundred and first. Uh, so I mean, it's you know, it's uh, like we have really good runners in Canada, but when you go to the World Championship, that's uh, it's another planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've got uh, you know the folks in Switzerland and some of those more alpine countries than Canada. Mm -hmm. I mean, they they live it, they breathe it, and that's you know it's just part of their DNA, just like hockey or curling is for for the average Canadian outside of Victoria. I would say. Exactly. Uh, uh, you were mentioning uh, Switzerland, Italy, uh, France, uh, Germany, the U United States. They have uh, amazing teams. And even the Africans now, uh, Kenya, Uganda. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite impressive. Mm -hmm. So most of our FitSpeak listeners are probably triathletes or they're so some sort of long-distance sports uh, fans as well. But I'm not quite sure if we have a lot of uh, mountain runners out there. So maybe you could uh, school us in this. How would you say um, how training for mountain running differs from, say, uh, training for, for a 10K road race or maybe even uh, a half marathon? I think with mountain running, what happens is you, you add aspects to your running. So, for example, you have to run downhill. So you're going to have to build your quad to take that kind of load. Uh, I, think it's, I think the science says that when you're running hard downhill, you, it's like triple your weight. So I'm about 150 pounds, so that would be four, 450 uh, you have the technical aspects as well. So like North Vancouver is known to be a technical place for running, for trail running. Uh, that's another thing. Like when you're running a 10K on the road or a half marathon, you don't have to deal with roots and rocks. And so that's another um, another aspect. And the, the uphill. Uh, some races are like fairly hilly, but you have also like races in the United States, for example, the Sky Running Series is based on uphill and downhill. So what kinds of things would a person have to train? So is that time in the weight room or is that simply experience, you know, uh, getting out there on the trails and, uh, you know, going up the hills and taking your knocks as you come down them? Um, I, technical trails, I think it's, it's a question of practice, a uh, question of confidence, especially when you're going down. A uh, bit of gym work, you know, it's, it's always good get some uh, some strength but 
I guess at the end of the day, being outside is probably the, the best thing to do. So, uh, and yeah, especially the, the technical aspect. Mm-hmm. Now, does this sport, because you've been at the Canadian Championships, you've been at the World Championships, um, in your experiences there, did that uh, do those kinds of events uh, favor a body type like the long and lean or the short people? Or um, is there any typical mountain runner uh, physical type? I, I guess I would say the trail runners may be a bit uh, heavier, like more muscular than the like the road running type. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe just because of like maybe bigger quads. Uh, but most of them, like when when I was at the World Champs, for example, where we see a lot of guys like fairly small, fairly light, you know, five foot. Five hundred and twenty-five pounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have exception like Joe Gray in the U.S. who is taller, but uh, yeah, I think I, when I I would say I, the the main thing I notice is maybe just a bit heavier than the road road runners who often are super lean. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into coaching running? Because not only are you a, an athlete yourself, but you also do a lot of coaching, including a, a group on, I heard, what is it called? Flat Thursdays, I believe. Yeah, I have a couple of, a uh, couple of groups in Vancouver. I wouldn't say it's coaching. It's more like people that, you know, gather and have the same interest. So we have the vertical Tuesday, uh, mm-hmm. and we're doing intervals going uphill on grouse, grouse grind here in Vancouver. And then we have the flat Thursdays, which is a a track session, like a regular track session. And I do on the side a bit of coaching, but mostly, you know, friends of friends or uh, it's at at some point I I did take some classes, uh, Canadian fitness standards, that kind of stuff. Uh, But then I got too busy with translation and it's just something that I do on the side for now. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of volunteer coaching of friends of friends, as you're saying. What what's in it for you? Why do you like doing that sort of thing? I find coaching uh, being interesting because you're it forces you to look at like a different training program or people with different goals, and that's something at first that uh, I it, it was difficult for me because I have my own goals, and I think I tend to. Uh, have the same goals for my athletes, but sometimes it's different. Uh, they're looking for something different. And like, for example, right now I'm coaching somebody who's going to do a marathon on the road, which is, you know, not necessarily my cup of tea, but then mm-hmm. I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm reading uh, Jack Daniels, you know, Joe Frill, uh, doing all kinds of research. So I find the coaching being interesting because yeah, you're, you're helping people to reach their goals, but at the same time I'm learning. Mm-hmm. So there's always new information that you have to go out there and seek or perhaps talk to friends or other experts in the field and, and get a, a different perspective. Yeah, running is, uh, I'm sure you know, it's more complicated than it looks. Yes. Um, yeah. It's more cognitive. You have to, uh, or you don't have to, but I mean, uh, in order to improve, you're always thinking, revising. It's a, it's a process of continual improvement. Exactly. Let's talk a bit details here. Um, what kind of advice, let's say our, our average FitSpeak listener is a road racer, what sorts of steps or what sorts of advice would you give that person if they want to get into mountain running, whether it's, you know, taking a clinic, specific training, or perhaps um, a race to choose? 
we're we're talking about Vancouver. Not too sure about uh, Pentington or the area, but in, in Vancouver we have tons of clinics. So if you want to start and you know making making sure that you don't get lost on the trails <laughs> and that you meet people that have like because that's that's the thing, right? Um, I you know I got lost several times, but um, yeah, so that that could be an option, uh, or just find a, a friend who is used to uh trail running uh when i when i started mountain running i switched completely to the trails and i i wasn't running on the road uh at all and now i would advise to keep running on the road so you you oh. keep your speed and oh. your uh turnover uh and then you you do some some trails as well so it's not just exclusively trails 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 and that's why you do the uh the track workouts as well Exactly, because you uh, like trail running or mountain running have changed a lot in the last five to ten years. Um, some guys who were really strong, uh, they don't we don't see them anymore because uh, we saw some guys coming with a track background or a road background, so they were able to run, let's say, a two twenty marathon, and all of a sudden these guys are running trains and they're super fast. Uh, so I think a lot of people in trail running realize that, oh shit, I need, uh-huh. I need some speed. Uh, so if you want to go toward trail running, I would say keep, keep running on the road, maybe two, three times a week and then do some trails two, three times a week. And that's, I, I think that's a good mix. Mm-hmm. A nice balance, just like some of the, the best road racers have a, a mountain biking or a, a BMX background and vice versa. The people who are doing, you know, pretty good in the mountain bike world, they don't just do that. They're doing a lot of, you know, perhaps time trials or road racing as well to develop the, the full uh, skill set and then applying it um, in the specific sport that, you know, you're racing on in any given day. Exactly. One of our uh, friends that we have in common, uh, Martin Curran, he's given me a few questions to ask you here. So he said that you've had quite the history on uh, getting injured. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, um, can you uh, give us any words of advice on how to prevent injuries while getting uh, getting fit and running and racing? Yeah, I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm better at giving advice uh, than, you know, actually staying away from injuries. But uh, like when I coach people and I see there's, there's something coming, you know, they mention their Achilles like two, three times in, in a couple of weeks or something like that. I, I ask them to take some days off, which is something I have a really hard time to do myself. Uh, but I think like when you see it, because everything is consistency. That's, that's how you get, you know, good at, at sports. And Martin is a good example because he... Uh, he trains a lot and he doesn't get injured too often. So he's very consistent. So that would be my first piece of advice. Just like take a couple of the days off. You're not going to lose fitness. Uh, the other, I've been lucky. I had uh, a very good physio here in Vancouver. So if you find somebody that you trust, like stick with him, uh, maybe invest a little more money in, in, and that like could be physio, kinesiology, or you know whatever. Like if you find somebody that that's able to help you, so that's another thing. And I'm lucky because I had like hamstring injury. I had something that maybe was a stress fracture or maybe a side joint. We weren't sure, but we fixed that. And now I'm stuck with plantar fasciitis again. But we're you know I keep working with my physio. Mm-hmm. I do my exercises pretty much every day. And yeah, things you know I know things gonna get better, but sometimes it, it takes time. 
Yeah, and one of the things that Martin was telling, probably you, I know he was telling me at one of the track sessions we were doing, he had some issues in the late uh, late winter, early spring, and he was out there racing in Mexico. And mm-hmm. uh, the key to his recovery, as he said, was to stretch more than he ever had in his life. Yeah, and I, if I remember well, I think he found a good Cairo uh, in Mexico who, who was able to guide him. So always nice when you, you know, you need to be, uh, you need to be willing to do all that stuff. And, and if you can find somebody who can, you know, guide you and that like, if he could be stretching, could be strengthening, could be rolling, uh, then it's great. But I know Martin was, uh, at first in Mexico, it was, I don't think he was running at all. He just, you know, he just got better. He stretched and then, whoops, he was, he was back to his regular uh, routine. Yeah, and he's been pretty unstoppable at the uh, 70.3 races. And right about now, I think he's just getting ready to um, start his taper for his big uh, Ironman race in Hawaii. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm confident he's going to have uh, a good race. I was in Whistler uh, for the 70.3. He did very well. I see he's training on Strava. We we chat sometimes, so I'm uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure you're gonna do well. Martin was also saying, um, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but once uh, you had done a study on races and how much waste they produce, uh, could you tell us a little bit more on that? I wrote an article about that. Maybe he was talking about my article, but I was in a study that was just uh, my own observation. Oh, I just like, yeah, every, uh, every month I, uh, I write an article for a website in Quebec and it's just about sports and I have full uh, freedom. I can do whatever I, I want. And because I'm involved in a race in Quebec, like each year I give a hand um, so like to, to the organization. And, you know, I noticed uh, all the garbage. And I mean, Ironman is a good example as well. So I just, uh, just, uh, I, and I'm thinking about these things because you're, we're doing a lot of sports. We, we, you know, we take advantage of the environment, the outside. So I was just thinking like sometimes some races, they create so much garbage that it's kind of counterproductive in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the article was about uh, basically races and environment. And, the, you know, do we really need medals at every race? Do we need that T-shirt? Do we need... Uh, uh, plastic water bottle, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and each you know each racing environment has its own culture. I rem- you know I've been doing this since the 1970s, and unless you had won the thing back then and into the early 80s, there was no medals unless you placed first, second, or third. Now the the culture in a lot of running races and a lot of triathlons is if you cross that finish line, you're getting a medal, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, you know, and for some people, uh, I know it's uh, like you uh, you talk about Ironman, for example. It's it's a great achievement, and of course, you want something to uh, to remember. But uh, I think for a lot of races, five k, ten k, a lot of people they're gonna race eight, ten, twelve times a year. So that's a lot of. Uh, that's a lot of uh, medals. Yeah, it sure, uh, it certainly accumulates. And, you know, if they have finishers' medals on top of that, it gets to be 
it gets to be kind of like uh, the room I'm sitting in right now. I will send you a picture after this, but uh, yeah, I think the point is made pretty well. Uh, on the other hand, by giving folks these finishers medals, you know, and making them attractive and you know desirable to have, um, I know it gets a lot of people into the sport. So whether that's you know doing their first 5K or 10K, you know, a, a sexy medal and some some decent uh, swag at the finish line, you know that. That might be the magic bullet to, uh, you know, inspire uh, another generation of runners, which is, you know, always a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And we uh, we've been discussing maybe an option when uh, when you sign up. Like I, I'm I'm still talking about that race in Quebec, but when you sign up, you could decide. You know, you could click yes, I want a medal. Yes, I want a T-shirt. Yeah. And then might be a bit more expensive. Uh, maybe you have to sign up a bit earlier, so we're able to. Uh, order medals and t-shirts but and and some people so you know what i've been racing for 10 years i don't need more medals so you can just click no and then that's it yeah yeah good point i mean my wife who's been racing for a lot you know 20 years or so she never takes any of the event t-shirts anymore because her closet is full and you know unless it's a really special t-shirt it just you know it gets left behind so what you're saying is pretty cool i mean give the athlete the option click here for the medal click here for the t-shirt of course everybody wants pizza and beer at the finish line so that's a no-brainer mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah no that's right so just before we wrap up uh, the um interview here benoit um what's your future looking like do you have any uh, exciting races coming up uh like right now it's been a it's been a tough year even if i manage to uh to race a few times so but right now it's just to uh get healthy again so plantar fascist is just it it takes a while to uh to heal uh, i'm still working on on that i had some issue with uh, the hamstring again so i really like Midterm, like if i could be there's a couple of races in november and december uh cross country so that that would be nice if I could get there and race well. Um, I'm a cross country skier as well, so I might do a, a few races. But uh, I think the, the idea is to get healthy and be strong next year when it's time to uh, race again, maybe in uh, you know somewhere around April. Uh, I I'm, I love training. I, I I love training more than racing. So if I could get healthy and just improve and race next year i'd be i'd be fine with that mm -hmm. actually you just um made me think of a question so you also do cross-country skiing now mm -hmm. is your plantar fasciitis uh does that affect your skiing a uh, good question the classic style that's fine uh but skating uh it's it's kind of tough on the arch mm -hmm. and it seems to uh trigger uh plantar fasciitis so i don't know if it's the same thing for everybody but in my case i can ski classic pretty okay. much as much as i want but uh i got like brand new skis uh last year for uh skating and i oh. used them just once oh geez so, that's a shame um, i mean you know they're gonna they're gonna last for a while so hopefully yeah. this year i'm gonna be able to uh use them uh, a bit more mm -hmm, for sure a great attitude too um before we let you go benoit we're going to ask you the classic fitzby question we asked everybody this one to end off the interview so this one is for you benoit so if you could be an animal other than a human being what kind of animal would you be and give us the reason why 
Okay, that's a good that's a good question. Can I take a, a second? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I can sing in the background while you're pondering whether you're going to be a lion or you're going to be a bat or how am I doing at killing time for you? <laughs> that's good. Uh, that's uh, that's a good question. I don't remember. You asked Martin in his interview. I don't remember this one. Oh, uh, really? If yeah. I didn't, I should have, but I'm pretty sure I did. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Mm, I don't know. I guess like I was. Uh, I was in Nicaragua last year. Nicaragua, we had, yeah. Like tons. Yeah, tons of monkeys there, and you know, it it just looks amazing to be so agile. Like the way they're jumping from a tree to another, and they, you know, they never fail. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, like, it must be nice to be that quick, that agile. Um, they're able to go super high, so they can, you know, see everything. Uh, they're known to be smart, so yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I go with the little monkey. Time, uh, tons of energy, very agile, uh, and generally pretty well loved by their uh, by their fellow animals in the forest. Yep. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much, Benoit, for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was fun. Uh, wishing you the best of luck in the future season, and uh, good luck with that injury. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Mikey Ross, the new voice here at FitSpeak. I'm also part of TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport, and head coach of the Abbotsford Triathlon Club. I'll be doing a weekly top five list. I wanted to begin with my favorite topic, which of course involves food. What to eat before a race? This is one topic which just about every athlete I know has their own version of, especially those who've trained and raced and experienced tumbling tummy the night before, the morning of, or even at the start line of a race. Being a double century racer, over 200 triathlons and running races so far, I have a definite top five go-to foods and liquids for getting the fuel that will enhance, not hinder, my performance. Here they be, but not ranked in any particular order. Our bodies speak differently depending on a multitude of factors, so we need to listen to our bodies and eat accordingly. Some of these meals are two days before, some the night before, or the morning of, but rarely during. Have fun guessing which is which. Number one, lasagna. It's the food for my triathlete soul. Vegetarian meat doesn't matter to me. It's the combination of cheese and pasta and sauce. And as food often does, it evokes instant memories of my mom's huge trays of lasagna. Lucky me, she cooked for seven kids, but always forgot that the first five had left home decades ago. Lasagna, lasagna, lasagna. Number two, pesto. Yep, another pasta dish. I find pesto on any pasta in the house sits just right on my race tummy. Add homemade sourdough bread to soak up the sauce and voila, personal best is on the way. Number three, porridge. My Scottish heritage insists on the name porridge, but most folks nowadays call it oatmeal or breakfast oats. Same, same. So, porridge? How original, you say? Nothing at all original, but millions and millions of athletes use this as a staple morning of meal, and they can't all be wrong. Being a sugar freak, I throw some brown sugar on top, and I eat mine straight without milk. Works for me. Depending on race duration, I often add a peanut butter and raspberry jam toast to the mix. Number four, Boost, or any other caloric bountiful nutrition supplement. 
I do a fair amount of endurance racing, so before a half or whole marathon or triathlon or long crazy trail run like the cultus round the lake give or take 30, coming soon to a lake near you, I'll set my alarm, get up at about 2 a.m. and down a calorie enriched boost. Being a human toothpick is probably a big reason why I follow this little ritual, but I'm convinced, with no empirical evidence mind you, that the boost actually gives me both a physical and a huge psychological boost in the later depletion zone stage of my endurance races. Plus, it's a perfect opportunity to pee and make it the rest of the night without interruption. Lastly, number five, red wine. Yep, one healthy glass of dry red wine. Warning, do not try this just because I have this on my list. Also, do not try this if you are in a recovery program or have just been tattooed for 100,000 days free of alcohol. I don't want to destroy futures and end marriages by including this, but it works for me. I've had long and intense discussions with fellow athletes about this crazy little ritual. Friends thought I was nuts doing this the night before Ironman 2010, and I got one word for the skeptics and naysayers, Kona. Seriously though, all I know is that it has calories, it goes down easy, and it helps me sleep so deep that I wake up in love with the universe and ready to spread joy far and wide to anyone that dares get within earshot. Thanks for listening. I wonder if maybe just one or even two of my top fives made yours too. I'm Zach Neufeld, and this is Between the Ears. Velo News has an article written by Andrew Hood called Positive Thinking Powered Rohan Dennis to Time Trial Gold. Rohan Dennis is an Australian professional cyclist who rides for a UCI world team. In the article, he said he trained his mind, not just his legs, to perform during the time trial world championships by focusing on the good things in life and ignoring the controversy from his exit from the Tour de France in July. He abruptly abandoned the Tour de France in an angry fit after a debacle. Apparently, he abandoned the Tour because of an argument over which equipment he would use. But he got past his fit of anger. Dennis credited his psychological strength over his physical form for the dominant ride. Redemption seeming to spring from his head and heart rather than from his legs. He said, there's been a lot of work done off the bike, mentally, to get him to the line up there and win. Dennis spoke of focusing on happiness and blocking out the negative thoughts clouding his mind. He focused on positivity and had to learn to believe in himself and focus on all the good things in life, like his wife and his baby son, blocking out the controversy from the Tour de France, just focusing on what was important to him. The morning of the time trial, he posted a picture of him and his son, putting things in perspective of what actually does matter. His wife and son were going to be there through and through. The race was just a bike race and would pass. Dennis's confidence really came back when he mimicked last year's preparation training session and battered it comfortably. Confidence is a huge part of time trialing, said Dennis. I've got my way about trying to get to that very special place of pain which is not normal. Overall, it's possible to come back from controversy and take control of your emotions and thoughts. Find confidence in your training sessions and find the joy in life. A race is just a race and those we love can be a source of joy that can help us get through controversial circumstances. Block out negative influences and stress the positive. 
For Between the Ears, I'm Zach Neufeld. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's fitness, wellness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wenting Cycle and Mission. Your Wenting's Word of the Week is Peterson. Once again, your Wenting's Word of the Week is Peterson. We're also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Whether your goals are iron, golden, or ultra, our low client-to-coach ratio ensures you get the one-on-one time you deserve to achieve your potential. It's TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. See our link at the bottom of this page to book your free consultation and goal-setting session. We'd like to thank our guest mountain runner and coach Benoit Genac and wish him the best of luck with his upcoming mountain running season. And coming up next time on FitSpeak, we'll be going to Hawaii for our feature interview. Canadian professional triathlete Jen Annett will be our guest. We'll hear how her preparation is going for the Ironman World Championships. Mikey Ross from ATC will be back for another top five list. And Kevin Watt is back from Edmonton for social media shoutouts. For all of us at FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening. <laughs>